right, well, welcome to the podcast. We're calling this the aftermath. So uh, Daniel and I'm gonna sit down following the Sunday sermon and kind of rehash and talk about uh, issues that come out of it, questions that arose. Um, for the short term, it'll be he and I discussing, but if you have questions, if you're hearing this and you listen on Sunday and have questions that you wanna have answered, submit them. Otherwise we'll just sit here and you can listen to us banter. <laughs> So this week we talked about uh, the story of Zacchaeus and the fact that a lot for a lot of us, that's just a Sunday school story, but for Luke, that was a much more important piece of the gospel and some of the implications. So Daniel, what'd you take from, yeah. from, the, from the talk? Yeah, like, so like, uh, one of the, the, the narrative that I get from like a lot of these stories and like, Jesus is like the ultimate rule breaker, like everything like he's not supposed to do. Like, so he's not supposed to dine with tax collectors and he's like going to their house. Like Zacchaeus is not like necessarily a guy that Jesus should be hanging out with. No, he's and not. He's, <laughs> he just goes for it every Which time. Which is why everybody gets mad, right? He's, right. He's, he's breaking all sorts of social rules and not only just social taboos. I mean, some of it's a taboo issue, but right. a lot of it, is steeped in Judaic law, right? So right. Uh, for a lot of these people are doing things that are making them unclean. And so it's it's a religious issue as well. Right. So. Yeah, like, um, and then like the narrative, I think you talked about this, like like he's leaving the 99 for the one, like this is kind of the Luke story. Like right. uh, God is going after the, 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 the coin, the, the one, um, just going after the ones that are on the periphery of society. Like, and that's, I've always, I've always identified with that. Like, I've always enjoyed the people on the edges and fringes of society. So like, to me, that's, I love that part of the story, you know? Yeah. I think for a lot of reasons, that's why Luke is popular. I think a lot of people gravitate towards Luke as a gospel because that's such a big part of what he's writing in the, in the story and the, the, the particular part of the gospel narrative that he wants to put out there is this Jesus who's coming to step outside of tradition for the sake of the people who are typically left out. Yeah. Um, I think everybody has a part of their life or a part of them that feels outcast, like they don't belong for whatever reason. Um, and so I think we all connect, connect and find a, find a way to put ourselves in that role and to, to have Jesus say, yeah, it's okay. You're still part of the deal. You're still part of the family. It's a, a big, powerful thing. Right. Yeah. So this is a fun kind of like question. Like I know that there's, n there's nothing that we do to warrant salvation, but like, you know, if, if Zacchaeus doesn't go to the edge of the tree, does Jesus come to his house? Does salvation come to his house? That's a fun mental exercise. Yeah, it is. Um, well, and I, 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 that's a, sort of the other side of a different, the other question I was asking is like, did, did Jesus come to Jericho looking for Zacchaeus? Like to the extent that he's divine, he probably knows that he's gonna run into him, but like, was that his purpose? Right. Right. Um, you know, the questions we just, we can't answer necessarily. Right. Maybe it wouldn't have been Zacchaeus, maybe it wouldn't have been somebody else. Right. Or, um, but, you know, obviously at the end of the day, we're left with the fact that it did happen. Right. And so, you know, what do we learn from it? What do we take from it? I think it's um, important, like, when you're looking at ministering to people, 
like how receptive and ready they are. Like if we're trying to like minister Jesus to people um, who aren't looking, you know, like I, I think there's like, I think you do have to sow seed in every kind of ground, but like there's definitely that fertile ground when you found, when you find someone like Zacchaeus, who's um, out on a limb, so to speak. Yeah, literally in this case, <laughs> literally, right? <laughs> literally like um, that's a person who's ready to change. Um and like, it's it's tough, you know, not getting the background to these stories. Like, why did why why Zacchaeus? Like, of all the people, like all these people that are around, right? Zacchaeus. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it may have been for Jesus because who Zacchaeus was. He's public. He was seen. Right. You know, like, this is an opportunity to obviously reach out to Zacchaeus individually, but also to make a statement publicly about his ministry and what what his project was. I think your point's good. Like we need to, I think we need to learn as a church and as people who are trying to do the work of Jesus to identify those who are, who are looking, you know, like presumably from the story we got, Zacchaeus doesn't really know who Jesus is. So it's not like he's a follower of God, like seeking to find this new Messiah. He's just, he's curious. Right. Cause he hear, you know, and I think too often we don't want to, be open to people who are curious and asking questions. We're more looking for the people who fit the mold, right? And so they kind of, they look the right part. They act, you know, they say the right things. They don't ask the wrong questions. Um, and, and they fit into a certain degree rather than somebody who may look or act or, you know, think nothing like us, but they're start starting to show some interest. It's like, we need to latch onto that and, be willing to answer the questions that maybe are uncomfortable or yeah. sit down and have dinner with the person who is going to make us look bad. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you, um, how do you contract? Can you contrast that with like the rich young ruler? Like, cause there's a guy that like obviously comes to Jesus and he's like, Hey man, I'm ready to follow. And Jesus is like, well, what about this? You know? Yeah. Well, I think, and, and that's, you know, in that instance, what I see Jesus doing is like, almost like calling him, calling yeah. on his bluff, right? Like he thinks he's got it all in order. Obviously we're dealing with Jesus who knows people's hearts. So it's a different, he's got a little different perspective. Right. But, you know, it, in some ways it's like a trust, but verify thing, right? And the one situation in, in the Zacchaeus model that we've been talking about, we're talking about people who are curious and looking and being open to, meet them in their curiosity, like at wherever on the spectrum that is yeah. in order to like crack that open and show them Jesus in the midst of that. And in the instance of like the, the rich young ruler that you're talking about, like here's a situation where you've got somebody who thinks they're righteous, who thinks oh. they're, they've got it all together. And so I think there's a role there to be played to push back and say, okay, well, we need to grow in this area, yeah. right? And, and that's, a, that's a discipleship. Both of those are discipleship, right? They're just on different points of the spectrum. You got somebody who knows nothing, who's curious, like you're very open to where they are. And not that you're not open to the rich young ruler, but the real, where he is, is a place where he's, you know, a little puffed up. Yeah. You know, you know, thinks he's got it all together. Yeah. And, and Jesus is able to really put his thumb on the problem of this guy's heart yeah. and say, well, if you're really gonna follow me, like here's, here's the next step you have to take. And he just obviously wasn't ready to do that. And I think that happens 
a lot. It's amazing how like oppositional Jesus is to the proud. <laughs> like <laughs> to the proud, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To, to like the proud, to the religious. Like he is like, yeah. Um, and, and everything's so upside down. Yeah, like the just the 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 upside down kingdom is. Um, sure. That's like one of the most interesting things to me about Jesus: the people that he pulls close and the people that he pushes away. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you got a guy like Peter, which is like one of his like, you know, I like he's got the three that obviously he ministers to a, a little more, and like Peter is just like the biggest screw up, and Jesus like keeps pulling him close, <laughs> right, right? Like, but everything and reprimanding that, him and you know, yelling at him at yeah, points, you know, like, like calls it, him Satan at one point. Yeah, like it, like one story, he's like, you know, God has revealed this to you, you know, and uh, on this rock I'm gonna build my church. Yeah, and then like the very next story, he's like, get behind me, Satan. Right, and then like he's like. Peter's denying them. And then Jesus is asking him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Like, yeah. But I think, I think the thing about it that, you know, kind of makes the point that we've already said is like Peter's heart's in the right place. Yeah. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to find the right way. And and you see Jesus sort of corralling him and shaping him and molding him. You know, the whole like get behind me Satan thing was not because Peter, I mean, he was trying to frustrate Jesus's ultimate purpose, but he didn't understand that, right? He was trying to, avert disaster in his mind, right? right. Um, which is different than a rich young ruler who just wants to become kind of greedy. And like, that's, so that's kind of a different issue, but right. But you're right. Jesus definitely is like grabbing all the sort of, again, in Luke, like definitely the outcasts, the people who are interested and really kind of comes down hard on the people who think they've got it all together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just the craziest thing to me. Yeah. Well, like, and I think something to be taken from that is like to, Sit down and really look at yourself in the mirror. And like, yeah. Where do you Where do you feel like you've Where do you fit? Like, where yeah. are you on that spectrum? Like, yeah. Well, and like during the day too, right? So like you had the Sadducees who were a growing kind of nationalistic um, uh, Jewish people. You had the Romans um, who were like kind of bringing in like the Greek Hellenism right. into culture, and like you had these those two cultures that were at each other, and then you have Jesus who's doing his own thing. Right. Like completely, completely separate and different from both. And like, it's just, uh, that's just like such a weird, like, so he's, he's oppositional to both the Hellenist uh, and to the Sadducee. Yeah. Like at the same time, right. like it's, I think it's like the kind of, uh, I think we're in a similar time, right? Like, so we have like a prevailing kind of, uh, attitude for, for us in our country right now, where there's like, there's like Hellenist thought creeping in. And then at the same time, there's like some sort of religiosity at the same time. And then we have supposed to be Christians that are like different altogether than those things. Yeah. I think, I think in a lot of ways, there's always, I think the Jesus way is always some like weird third way. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's, you've got, you know, the two ends of the spectrum, whether it's left and right or, you know, whatever those, those are. And, and Jesus, he's not on that spectrum. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes he's in the middle, but rarely is he in the middle. Often you find him just way over here in the, again, like on on some different plane altogether. Right. Um, And in in a lot of ways, I think a lot of our sort of theological debates within the church, like ultimately are going to be either both and rather than either or situations. Yeah. Or they're going to be something, in, you know, like we, we just, we don't understand. It's almost like when the Pharisees are asking Jesus about like 
uh, death and who's going to be, uh, whose spouse is this widow going to be? She's married, you know, seven brothers during life, right? And he's like, oh, you don't get it. Yeah. Like God is the living, you know, the God of the living, not the dead. And it's like, I don't know that I really understand that reading that today, his response. Right. Um, but whatever, you know, whatever his response was, is basically, you just, you just don't understand at all. Like, right. I think there's more of that than we'd like to think. Yeah. You know, we're going to find out in the, in the end that things were not necessarily the way that we thought they were. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we, we're told a lot in the, in the scriptures, but there's a lot that's left, left open. <laughs> right. We, you know, we're, we're thinking about the lot, you know, thinking theologically and philosophically and wisely about, but that doesn't mean we we understand all of it. Of course, <laughs> I know I don't. I yeah. know I don't understand a lot of it. That's like that's why I've always been kind of open. Like if someone's like obviously like we read the scripture and and God gives us revelation, um, but like obviously people have different takes on stuff, and I'm always like. Well, that's a take, you know, like at least like, I <laughs> may not be a good one, but it's a take. It's a take. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I get it. Like, right. that's a thought. Um, like I can't ever dismiss somebody like right out in the, in the open. Like, cause I just have to sit with it for a little while yeah. because I think there is a lot, just, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot happening in these, these are dynamic characters in these stories. And like, sure. you have Jesus that like, you could never pin down which way he's going to go in these stories. Like, <laughs> like if you, if you were to map out like, oh, this is how he's going to react to this character. Like you're wrong. Right. <laughs> no matter what you choose, you're wrong. Right. Right. Uh, it certainly does seem to be like that. Well, and I think the other piece to that is not only are the, the stories really complex. I mean, a lot of those characters are complex. Part of the problem is the, the the writers often flatten them to a certain extent. Right. So we certainly don't have you know, like like with the situation is Zacchaeus. We don't have all the backstory. Right. We're told you know two or three sentences about this guy, and we're making assumptions. Um, right. Why you know reasonable assumptions, um, but assumptions nonetheless. But then you also have you know if we're talking about like how other people are interpreting and you know whether they're thinking something differently than you are. So we have all the complexity that's inherent in the stories themselves, even in a time and place. But then now we're separated by two thousand years in different cultures, so that's compounding it. But then you have a life experience, and I have a life experience. So you're going to interpret it. You have a different grid to oh, yeah. interpret something than but, I do, right? But, like I go straight to the rule breaker because I'm like I cannot follow a rule. Like if you give me a rule, I'm like gotta break it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so. Like as soon as I I see the story, I'm like. There's Jesus doing all the stuff he's not supposed to do again, yeah. going after the the one like so like that's how I see that story like right. no like how do you like when um, you look at that story? I mean I think I, I come at it from a certain slant a similar slant but it's not it's not about rule breaking it's not that there's a rule we got to break it it is there's someone who needs to be grabbed and if it requires breaking a rule well love trumps right and and. Yeah going to reach the lost is more important than religious purity. And I think that's a big piece of what Jesus was trying to show people. Yeah, that's a smarter way of saying what I was going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, and we have thousands of years of history of God's people that Jesus is dealing with, um, you know, through that sort of religious purity system. And, and, and there's, a, there's a distinction to be drawn between purity laws and moral law. Right. And we've talked before on Sunday mornings, you know, about that difference and how God or Jesus 
upholds and really heightens and strengthens and takes to the next level the moral law. Yeah. And really has no use for the purity law. Um, you know, the things that you can eat and the way you can dress and who you can touch and not touch. And, you know, like he, he trans, transcends and breaks all of those laws. Right. For the sake of the moral law. Um, it kind of shows how those one trumps the other and sometimes they butt up against each other. So we've had thousands, you know, Jesus has got thousands of years of, of Hebraic and Judaic history that he's dealing with. But then we, we have now 2000 years of Christian church tradition. Oh yeah. You know, and so the questions that are, you know, what, what has cropped up and, and what of it is, you know, really core of Christianity and what are those rules and sort of things that we need to hold on to and what of it has, uh, you know, been influenced from culture, what of it is just social taboo. Yeah. That's you know, a we, super good takeaway, dude. Like, right. Uh, like going back, cause like, obviously Jesus, like, is taking some of these purity laws that are not, they weren't God, they weren't God given laws, you know, like a lot of them like, like are just stuff that they piled on top and created these heavy burdens. Yeah, certainly, it, it, you know, when he's dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that day, they've, they've done a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, do you think about us, like what have we placed on top of, of Christianity that's like, hey, this is, this is not part of the burden that you're supposed to carry. Like right. this yeah. is just ridiculousness. Right. And that's, that is something to contend with. Like when uh, you recommended uh, Pagan Christianity to me, that book, yeah. like when I read that and kind of like looked at like, and obviously like uh, Frank Viola has kind of a slant to how he thinks sure. things should go. Like he just, you know, throws, you know, 2000 years of church history out the window. It's just, I'm sure he does that. Go back, right? go yeah. back you yeah. know, to the, to the, uh, right. the way the disciples did it, but like, or the way the apostles did it, you know, but like, maybe he doesn't do that all the way, but like, there is a lot, I think that we've piled on that just, it's not serving us. Like, sure. and it's not serving God and it's actually keeping people out. Right. And, and I think that's definitely the stuff that you need to shed. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think something to keep in mind is that, in every culture and every generation, um, there are there are social structures. There's ways of acting and behaving, and there are things that we consider respectful and things we consider disrespectful, and those things change. And so, what one generation a hundred years ago thought was unacceptable because of a social construct, we don't think twice about. Right. Um, and, and it's those sorts of things that I think really, I mean, it's even, it even goes to the, some of the conversations and the, the issues that, you know, we have here at Emmanuel, but every church struggles with, it's been around for any length of time. You know, everyone relates to God, generations relate to God in different ways. Right. You know, and that's not, that's not wrong. And so I'm thinking, as you're talking about, you know, Viola in his book, and you know, we're, that really talks about the ways in which the, the Roman empire under Constantine sort of molded the church and how the church as it became the religion of the Roman empire really subsumed and took on a lot of the pagan culture in terms of what the, the church buildings looked like, how they, the service was ordered and, and sort of the pomp and circumstance was in large measure Roman pagan culture and not, not necessarily Christianity. But the thing about Jesus is, and, and God is that he uses whatever he needs to in the culture in order to deliver his message. Oh yeah. Right. So like he used that. Like I I, th I don't think it's right to say that that was necessarily wrong. Yeah. Right. God worked through that. He built a church through that. 
you know, Christianity's gone all over the world. Prior to Constantine, it was a battle, right? It was a persecution, it was an underground movement, and then all of a sudden it becomes sort of like the religion of the powerful empire. Oh yeah, and you get uh, like which, like which superstar had, orders like Chrysostom and like these kind of guys. Right, right. And so, I mean, there are all sorts of problems with that, but there was, it was a, obviously a great blessing also. Yeah, I mean, they can, so, canonized the word for us. Like, yeah. That's kind of a big deal. I think like uh, I, I was reading a book, not so long ago, they are talking about like uh, – as far as the, the the New Testament writings being copied, you know, and written, yeah. like that was done by kind of like uh, a lot of the, the monastic, yeah, the monks, yeah, were, at the were time. really responsible. Was, was like that saved a lot of history for us. So like, yeah. yeah, God does use all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the question then is, so so it's not necessarily a matter of looking with disdain upon that. The question is, okay, so how much of that was just a product of the culture that God used at that time that right. is no longer applicable to? what yeah. we're trying to do today and who we are as a people of God today. You know, again, like where's where's the core message, the core sort of like, I kind of hate the term, but the rule book that right. like needs to stay consistent. Right. Um, which I think we see Jesus modeling, right? It's love and the Sermon on the Mount and the humility and not the rich young ruler who's greedy and... Um, yeah, like the Sermon on the Mount's boot, like because blessed are the poor in spirit, like right. obviously Zacchaeus is this dude who's poor in spirit. Like he, exactly. <laughs> this dude knows he needs God uh, so much so that he's, if you think of him, like where would you place him in society today? Like, so he's a tax collector. Like where would you place him in society today? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like almost, I don't even know. Like my first thought is like, is it like a prosecuting attorney or something like that? Yeah, maybe. Like maybe. for, I mean, like the easy answer is IRS agent, but I don't, you know, I don't uh, think they rise to that. You know, they're yeah, not that. There's not, not like a big prominent IRS agent that we're all looking out for. Yeah, or, <laughs> I mean, you'd like to think the IRS isn't like extorting people for money. Oh right? uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's like the thing that made Zacchaeus so hated was he was literally stealing from his own people. Right. Um, so my my actually my first thought went to like like televangelists and people who are like ripping people off. Yeah. But he wasn't yeah. in the religious system. Right, the way they are. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the parallel is off the top of my head. Yeah, but like for that dude to go out in public, like when people are, when people are on the streets, you know, like obviously there's a crowd, and this dude's like, I'm gonna go out in public and like find this dude, like kind of like drops his pride, you know, and yeah. like climbs a tree. Like, I, <laughs> I can't imagine a, like a prominent person like that. Like someone who, he was obviously wealthy. He was wealthy enough, you know, to give away half he had and then pay everybody back four times what he stole from them. Right. So the dude had some money, right? Yeah, right. When you're that wealthy, like going out when there's people on the streets, probably not a good idea. Yeah. And then like climbing a tree, like when's the last time you climbed a tree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, don't know if he tree climbing was more curiosity about him, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like, I, I think it's important like to look at some of the rules like that, 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 that we like that we have that are keeping people like, so obviously these purity laws were kind of keeping Zacchaeus on the outside. What about his encounter with Jesus changes everything? You know, like, yeah, I mean, I, we don't know that part of it. <laughs> right. We just know that everything changed. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some, obviously there's some encounter that he had with it. You know, we talked Sunday about like, you know, that was kind of like the challenge at the end was have we individually had those mo at that moment? Oh, yeah. Right? right. Like so much of church culture is this established structure 
established ways of acting and being, right? And, and it's easy just to be born into that. You know, a lot of, a lot of the older generations of the church were born into just church culture. It's like right. that was just handed to them and this is just what we always do. Um, and it's easy to grow up and be in the midst of that and really never have that sort of moment. Um, you know, for some of us that are younger, like the culture's different. That doesn't mean we have had those moments. Um, so the question is like, and I think that's different for anybody, everybody. Like the Jesus moment for the rich young ruler was, I mean, it was about, about wealth. Right. So it was, there was a parallel there, but you know, th those, those moments when Jesus really shows up and you understand who he is, I think that could be different from anybody. Sometimes that can be in tremendous blessings. Sometimes it can be in tremendous despair. Yeah. Um, yeah Jesus is, dude, if you're doing good, probably stay away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, but, but in Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was doing great. You know, like he's doing fine by himself by cultural standards. I mean, right. like, obviously people didn't much care for him, but he was well off. Yeah. I mean, like, he was just fine, you know. So I, you know, it's not only in despair and and, and moments of chaos that Jesus shows up. He certainly can there, but you know. So I don't know what that what was it about Jesus that made such an impact on Zacchaeus. You just, you just know we need that moment with yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but 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 I think the the lesson and I think what you see happen ha over and over is you you know you don't always get that. I mean, obviously we have a little bit more of the story about Paul on you know his his road, Damascus road experience. And, and oh, yeah. that gets recorded by Luke, I think three different times. Yeah. And then Paul talks a little bit about it in Galatians. Um, so there's a little bit kind of into his perspective, but for a lot of people, we don't really know what that moment looked like or what got said or didn't said or felt like, you know, I mean, we just know it happened. Like something happened. And people were different afterwards. Yeah. They, they either disappeared completely from the story yeah. or like made some total complete change and we're right. just a different person. Right. You know, I think beyond even just the text that we've been given in terms of like our canon, our scripture, like to learn about the early church and to learn about what these people did. And, you know, for a couple hundred years there, like they literally were looking to be martyred. Yeah. Like they understood that the Jesus they followed meant that that could very easily happen and they were ready for it. They welcomed it. I mean, we have some first person accounts of people who you know, met their end with wild animals and fighting rings, you know, and, and to hear them talk about uh, that experience and the, the degree to which they welcomed that, like, that's not normal. <laughs> you no. know, like other people, you know, going into those fighting pits were not looking at that the same way that they were. Like for them, this was a public witness um, and said something about who their God was. So like to go from just, you know, John or Jane Smith on the street certainly to suddenly being so convicted and wanting to live this kind of life and being willing to die for your belief, like something happens, something's got to happen there to make that happen. So, I mean, I, I find stories like this, you know, con convicting, you know, like we, we talked about Sunday, like the, the miracle that precedes that story in Luke's gospel was the, the blind man being able to see, like Jesus did something to that guy. Right. And he responded like Jesus, it wasn't a, a miracle in the same way with Zacchaeus, but something happens there yeah. that causes him to do this 180. Yeah. So So our response our response is is necessary, right? Like Well yeah. But, right, it just ha like right? It should ha it should ha there should be a response. If we've had this if we've had some sort of encounter yeah. with Jesus, right? Like should our our life be marked by some sort of response? Like I, yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think the, the scriptures bear that out all over the place. Um 
But here's here's the tr- here's the key, man. Like, and this is the tough part because it's not something you can manufacture. No, right? I can't give the, you a one, two, three step. Well, to- the, the, I guess what I'm saying is that that there is there's a way to hear that and say, oh, I should go live a different life. And what I'm saying, and what I think Jesus is saying, what the text is saying is, when you seek out Jesus, mm. and Jesus comes to you you're compelled to change. So it's not an obligation. It's not like something you have to will yourself into. It's, oh. I can't not be different. Okay. Does that make sense? Like yeah. so much of, I mean, I, I really do think a lot of, especially like the, the, we inherited, the American church inherited a lot of like Victorian purity culture. And, and in a similar way that I think the first century sort of Judaism was experiencing a, a purity movement. And that's that's all like, rules and regulations and you need to conform to this. And I guess what I'm saying is what we see Jesus, the impact we see Jesus have on, on people is like literally a change of heart where they're then compelled to be, di- they, they're literally born again into new people with a different heart, motivated to do different things. So it's not, it's not necessarily like, you know, flagellation, like beating yourself on the back, trying to conform yourself to an obedient person. It's just, you just all of a sudden are this new person who, wants to be like Jesus. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not a matter of like rules and regulations. It's just a matter of literally a heart change. Yeah. So Yeah. So the question is like, have have you, have have we, have I, like have have we had that sort of experience where, you know, like you encounter Jesus and like the whole world, your whole world, you see everything different. Your world changes. Yeah. Right. And that's a that's a big question. Right. And it's it's not as easy as God says you should do this, so go do this. It's a matter of like, you gotta go spend time looking for Jesus. Man. Right? Because I can't teach you into that. I can't talk you into that or convince you into that. All I can do is talk to you about it and maybe help guide somebody along that path. It's up to God, Jesus and his spirit to like actually like make that happen. Yeah. Right? I think that's a big lesson we need to learn as a church too. Like. Oh yeah. Well, I, I had an encounter with a, uh, he was a youth pastor from Ireland. And uh, like, I was kind of like talking to him about preaching to, to youth. And he was like, Hey, you know, like, it's not your job to get these kids saved. Like it's your job to do what God tells you to do. But like, God's going to move on their hearts or not. Like they'll either receive it and God, you know, like maybe them receiving the seed is like part of like, something, you know, and like, then God grows from there. But like, it's ultimately God's job to see where that goes, you know, like, like whether he reveals himself to them or not, but like, there's, we can't like really charge ourselves with revealing God to people. That's not, that's, I don't don't know if that's in our, in our job description. Like, I don't think we even have the ability to do that. I think we can model Jesus. We can show people what Jesus is like. We can point to Jesus I think our job is to help like open those doors, right? Um, and help people be aware that that's even a possibility. But ultimately, it's going to come down to God, to Jesus showing Himself in, in in the way that whatever He did with Zacchaeus, and we're a part of that. Like I, I think that happens through us as oh, Christians. Yeah. Like, but it's ultimately not our work. And like you said, that, that this youth pastor was talking about, like it's your job to be obedient, and then He's going to work through that obedience. Yeah. Um, that makes it that makes it so much easier to be like a pastor and be a minister to like say, hey, just I'm just gonna do what God tells me. Like I don't have to worry about, you know, like 
the the essentials the essentials for success you know the, your your seven best ways to have a successful you know whatever but like i just just obedient to what god tells me to do like that's much more like sustainable like yeah yeah um, i mean and i i also think that like all these words that we're using have a bunch of baggage with them right you're right yeah, so yeah. like even the word obedience does like what are we obedient to well it's the model of jesus and that's really just loving people right like right it's both freeing and at the same time a little unsettling that like you're called just to love on people and you certainly hope and pray that they're going to respond, but they very well may not. And <laughs> you're, you're only, the only thing you can control is whether or not you are being faithful and obedient to love that person. Right. Right. And to show them Jesus. And if they, if they turn their back, like that's, that's not on you. One, that's freeing, but two, it's like, to realize you don't have that control. Like that's, that can right. be unsettling. You know, yeah. we, we definitely want to like grasp and try to control things, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's easier to be, have it in God's control. <laughs> like that, that to me is, is super comforting. I guess it could be unsettling if I was a control freak, but I'm not, Yeah. you know, so that's. Yeah, I guess maybe it depends a little bit on personality types, yeah. right? Yeah. For those of us who really want to be in control and, and, and have some say over the outcome, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's uh, true. The other thing that I think comes up, and you know, I'm sure as a worship pastor, you you've faced this, or maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but I know I did when I when I was in that role, and I do now. Is as we sit around and talk about creating a worshipful experience, or you know, space. Hopefully, hopefully, what we're doing is creating space for God to work. Right. But like, I always worried about like, are we manufacturing an experience for people? Like, mm. to what extent does that does our crafting, like where's the line in there, right? There, oh, there's definitely a line, right? Like, like you can you can make make a service or craft a worship experience that like itself is, is profound and emotive and, and stirs people's emotions. And maybe that's not God. Maybe it's just, we did a really good job about, you know, teaching and, and playing good songs and, and cool ambient sounds that like, oh, yeah. put yeah. somebody in a mindset. Like hopefully what we're doing is all of that serves to set the stage for then God to work. Yeah. But like, I also think that there's a whole like movement and a reality in the church that has become so produced and so good at that, that like you can almost like manufacture a, a pseudo religious experience. Right. So, then so replaces this, that. this goes back all the way to like architecture in the church and the, the Gothic era. Yeah, and like right. even, even beyond that, like, the church was made to, you know, like with high ceilings and, you know, it's supposed to, everything's supposed to draw you, you know, upward into an emotional, uh, and then they use light, you know, right. and, and the way the light comes into the building and that kind of, that's been going on for a long time. But for me, the focus for me has to be on, on God. Like number one, like we, we do have a, a ministry to God to do like, we're supposed to worship God. Mm. Like, <laughs> like we are supposed to minister yeah, to him. It's a pretty big piece of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah like it's, it, it, yeah, like it's, it's, it's legitimately a, a piece of what we're supposed to be doing here. Uh, so there's that, like we, we should minister to God. And then like as a worship, you know, leader or pastor or um, even a worship team member, like your job is to encourage others, I think, to to do that. But like manipulating them emotionally, like that's not... That's like, not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Right. But like, you know, I, and, and as far as praise goes and, and worship goes, like, like there's seven, you know, Hebrew words for praise. They're all actions, you know? So like, 
I, I, ha, I don't have a whole lot of like hard and fast, like, hey, you shouldn't ask people to do this. You shouldn't ask people to do that. Like, you know, that's, there's a lot I think that's, you can do in a worship set and, and um, enjoy God. Um, and I, I think it should be fun, but like at the same time, yeah, like I'm definitely not for manipulating the emotions of a people. Like, and there's, there's worship leaders that do they build it up to a rah, 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 you know, for mm-hmm. the pastor to, to take over. And uh, that's a thing. But like at the end of the day for me, and I, and I think it comes through like when I lead, like I just, I just, I'm singing to God, you know, and I'm right. trying to get people to sing with me and, and worship with me. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that piece. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I you know, I think a, a big part of that answer is, is the motivation. Right? Yeah. Are, are we trying to coerce somebody? Cause I, you know, I, one of the things I think that is pretty obvious from scripture is that like, this is non-coercive. Like Jesus is not forcing anybody. Right. Um, he pushes, he prods, you know, but he always does that to the people who, like we said earlier, like think that they're righteous, right? He, he welcomes with open arms, anybody who wants to come. So I think to the extent that, you know, as, as those of who may be listening that are like leaders that are trying to craft a service, like it comes back to motivation. Are, are, you, are you yourselves trying to worship and expound and teach about and praise God or are you trying to manipulate the people you're teaching and, and worshiping with? And yeah. I think as long as your motivation is good, you know, that's probably 90% of the the battle right there. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. I guess to bring it all the way back, oh, sorry, you wanna say something? Go ahead, you're good. I was just gonna kind of bring it back to Zacchaeus and what we were talking about, like this whole conversation has really been about like, how do you experience God, right? How do you, you know, back to the, the, the question earlier, like have we individually as a people experienced God and then we're now talking about like, how do we make space for that to happen? And I think one of the things I've always experienced, you know, like Zacchaeus, like what, what got him in the tree? Yeah, that's what, I was trying to get to that earlier. Like, yeah, like <laughs> why, did he, why did he go? Like, why was he jumping, trying to see over the crowd in the first place? Right. Like, you know, and I think about some of the other stories that Luke tells, like I, I love the story about the leper that gets healed, you know, you know, I've, told that one before on a number of occasions, like this dude who he knows he's an outcast. He's supposed to be living outside the city, comes wandering through the streets, you know, like he has to be yelling, yelling unclean. Everybody looks at him, stares at him and runs from him because they don't want to get sick. In the same way, Rich Zacchaeus made risks coming to town, certainly a leper does at the other end of the spectrum. Right. These people are just compelled to find and seek Jesus. But I think that's in everybody we all need that to be set free from something. And I think that's like, that has to be a piece of what Zacchaeus was after. He's heard about this rabbi who's different. Right. He's in a, you know, we, we talked on Sunday, like this is a regional tax center. This is a major city. It's not like there aren't other rabbis and religious leaders in the town. I mean, they're obviously there. They throw a fit because Jesus is talking. So it's not, I think that's a big piece of, as the church, as followers of Jesus, like when we think about what are we offering, like what what is Jesus that we're supposed to put on display? It's not rules and regulations, it's freedom, right? It's peace, it's something way more. I mean, it is another type of life, a way of living, but it's a life living from peace with God that doesn't get 
transferred or transmitted or shown through religious strictness, right? Right. And, you know, like that's what gets, I mean, I think that's probably what drew Zacchaeus out and draws all these people to Jesus is it's something different. Yeah. Right. I, I like it. So like your Sunday, your Sunday challenge was like, you know, find yourself in this, in the character of Zacchaeus. Have you had your encounter yet with Jesus? Now, like on the Monday morning, you know, aftermath, <laughs> right? Is it not, it's not Monday. It's Tuesday. <laughs> it's Tuesday now, but. <laughs> uh, so like, but now like on the, on the flip side of that, like the, like saying, like seeing the church as Jesus, like what's our duty there? Like, what does it look like there for yeah, us? You know? Right. Yeah. Like that's a super neat, like kind of paradigm to kind of like say, Hey, right. you turn this on his head. Right. And now you are. Put yourself in the other, yeah, other you're, role. You're supposed to be Jesus to this world. Like, and you're the church. Like, what do you look like to Zacchaeus? Yeah. Um, I think that one of the big keys and one of the big takeaways, and maybe we just, you know, we end here because this is dragged on. <laughs> never looked at you. Be, be ready for that because that's going to happen a lot with Daniel and I. Did we got to a good end though, right? You can't do the second without the first, right? right? You'll never get to the point where you can have the conversation about how to beat Jesus if you've never had the encounter with Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So like you have to be Zacchaeus first. Yes. You have to seek Jesus and have that encounter. And it's that encounter then that turns. I mean, like when you look at Zacchaeus, what does he do? He turns and becomes generous, right? He turns and becomes like Jesus. Oh, he's Jesus. immediate. I guess you, I, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Like he's immediately stepped into Jesus's uh, yeah. the way, you know, right? right. As it, as it said, right. But I, you know, I, I think part of the part of the problem that the church as a whole has experienced is we have so many people wanting to be Jesus without having met Jesus, right? Ooh. We have people wanting to be Jesus having never met Jesus. Dude, that's, that's so good. That and that's like that's just that's just false. You know, talk about false teachers. Like that's yeah. so. I think as as Christians, as disciple makers, those of us who've claim to have had that experience and now seek to lead other people into it. Like we need to not only be honest with ourselves, whether or not we've had that experience, but are we constantly seeking that experience? Cause it's, it's really easy to have had that experience five, six, seven, you know, years ago, decades ago and have forgotten it, moved away from it. I think we, we need to continually be going back to Jesus to be reignited, reoriented um, to make sure that we're discipling from a place of, of purity, purity of heart rather than religion, if you right. want to use that term. Someday we'll have a conversation about that term, but for now we'll just use it in that way. Cool. So any other parting thoughts you got? I don't have anything. Okay. Tell the people what's going on. Oh, with you know, with our services here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, for those of you who are part of the Emmanuel family, you know that we've been meeting uh, on at 9.30 Sunday mornings for a while uh, since the pandemic's been going on this Sunday, the 1st of November. We will begin at 8.30. We're doing that with the time change. So to your body, it feels like it's the same time, but it's not 8.30. And then in two weeks, the 15th, we're launching a second service. A number of different sort of reasons and purposes for that, right? Uh, we're obviously still in the middle of a pandemic and we're set and ready to try and grow and invite some people to be part of this community. And so we need to be able to do that safely. So having two services allows us the space to do that safely and have new people come in and still distance and uh, keep everybody healthy. Um, but that second service is going to be a more modern style. Um, and so it allows us to serve people who, you know, like we were saying earlier, like people relate to God differently and there's nothing wrong with that. And so we want to provide that for people. So we'll have the first service, which is kind of the more, I suppose, traditional, although right now it's kind of a blended service, but, um, 
hymns and, and the way people are kind of used to doing church at Emmanuel. Mm. And then the, the second service will be moving in a little bit new direction and hopefully inviting people in to experience God in, in sort of a new way. It's awesome. So, yeah. You got anything to say about that? You're you're a big part of helping yeah, dude, make that I'm, happen. I'm I'm excited, man. Um, like, so to be a part of both services, like I love the hymns, and then I love the the more modern stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm just ready to go after it. Um, like you know me, I'm like one of those dudes, like a one track mind guy. Like I'm like I get excited about something that's like all I can talk about or be about for you know, that time. So I'm excited to be a part of the church here. Um, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Like, and I, I do believe like, like God is, God is moving and like God is active and uh, he wants to be active here. And he wants people who are willing and, and ready to step out and uh, uh, I guess co-labor with him. So I'm ready for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. So, um, yeah, so we'll we'll end our uh, first episode here. If you're uh, around and looking for a church place, we can be here uh, 8.30 this Sunday, and then two Sundays, 15th, we'll start at an 11 o'clock one, so we invite you to be part of that. Praise God. Yeah. All, all the people with kids said amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>